0: How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, A Pastoral Response to Conspiracy Theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stiegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. So you enter a scientific discipline and many of the presuppositions or at least the popular presuppositions of that discipline are in conflict with the Bible teaches, say that the earth is billions of years old, that the record that you see of rock and earth and soil is really just the product of random collection of particles in space that eventually became our planet. And now you study it. Do you have to accept those premises do you have to accept that the earth is extremely ancient or that these things all happened by chance welcome back to issues etc it's time for part two of our series the scientific vocation we're going to talk about geoengineering dr jesse Yao joins us he formerly served as department head at lawrence livermore national laboratory He has a Ph.D. in geotechnical engineering from the University of California, Berkeley. He's a member of the board of directors for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and author of the books Faith and Science in a Skeptical Age and Standing Firm, A Christian Response to Hostility and Persecution. Dr. Yao, welcome back.
1: Hey, it's great to be back. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat.
0: You are a geoengineer. What in the world is that?
1: Well, I was trained in geological engineering at Missouri School of Mines. That was my undergraduate work. And then I completed my graduate work in geotechnical engineering at the University of California, Berkeley. A lot of my peers went into very civil engineering kinds of applications. Some of them went into the energy industries. Some went into the environmental professions, environmental science related work. Some some went into academia and taught. I went to work and spent most of my career at a national laboratory. And even though my training was in engineering, I was actually working in what I would best describe as applied sciences. And so I had an opportunity to work in things as widely separated as the nuclear fuel cycle, energy technologies, uh, environmental technologies, environmental protection and cleanup. It was actually very interesting and fun. And I I say that in the past tense because I retired just a few years ago. It was a really an enjoyable career.
0: Why did you go into that profession?
1: If I think back to when I was in high school, I was pretty good at math and science, but I was also very interested in nature. Uh, I really appreciated being outside. I I appreciated God's creation. And I started thinking about a profession where I might be able to combine the best of several several things, the, the math, the science, but also the enjoyment of nature and the outdoors, that started moving in, in the direction of geosciences. The math aspect, I wanted to also go into engineering, and so geotechnical engineering seemed like a good compromise. Frankly, I wasn't that smart at the time. I didn't realize whether or not God might be leading my career. As it turned out, he was leading all along. I just maybe didn't see it at the time.
0: Has the study of science ever caused a personal crisis in your Christian faith?
1: Well, it was not a crisis. That might be too strong of a word. It challenged me with questions. And in particular, because I was working sort of in between geosciences and engineering, the geo side of it, I had to come to grips with questions about the age of the earth. What do I do with geological time as compared to the young earth creation, the six days of creation we see in the book of Genesis. And I I had to wrestle with that and decide, okay, what do I really believe and why? I eventually came to realize I'm convinced that God created the earth in six days, but I had to also come to grips with all of the geologists around me were thinking in terms of millions and billions of years. Well, okay, what do I do? And so uh, I don't think I compromised, but I'll use that word anyway. The compromise was to say, okay, there's time as presented to us in the Scriptures, and I'm convinced that God created the earth. I take it at face value that he created it in six days, but I also had to reckon with these what I call geologic time. And so that's the way I handled it. I said, okay, fine. If you insist on that rock formation or... Or this part of the earth being so many million years old, I'll let you have that. Fine, go ahead. But I'm going to call that geologic time and maintain a distinction of geologic time. I put quotation marks around that as compared to time as I understand it from the scriptures. And so a certain amount of ambiguity there, but that was the way I sort of held it at arm's length so I didn't have to worry about it too much. For me, that was a challenging kind of a thing to think through. But ultimately, it became very simple. Was I going to take the Bible at its face value or not? And that made the question pretty clear.
0: So it sounds like you discovered you could do your job perfectly well without accepting the premises of either evolution or uh, ancient Earth.
1: Exactly. There were questions I couldn't answer, but I'm okay with that. Early on, I found a book. It was actually published by University Press. It was entitled mapping the origins debate and there's a professor who wrote the book he essentially racked up that's my word for it six different models for creation how everything began and he was very helpful in presenting okay here are the questions here's the evidence you decide figure it out for me that was helpful because it racked up all the questions it presented all the questions and people who are into evolution, they still have questions they can't answer. People who are into materialistic explanations, they still have questions they can't answer. I'm a young Earth creationist. There are questions I can't answer, but I'm okay with that. And this guy who prepared this book, he was very helpful in laying out the different scenarios. And he was brutally honest in pointing out, regardless of which direction you go in your beliefs, you still have questions. That's okay. Okay. So for me, it's worked very well.
0: Do you ever feel pressure from your non-Christian colleagues?
1: Well, sometimes, but it comes in different forms. In some cases, it's a question of, we talk about whether or not there's absolute truth, and that starts to get ironic, because we're all involved in research, even if applied research. And if you're involved in applied research, in a sense, you're in a quest for truth. And so for somebody, a good friend of mine said, I'm not sure I believe in absolute truth. And I turned around and said, Richard, how can you say that? What's your career all about? What are you researching? And And we had a really interesting discussion. On another level, it's like, I guess I wouldn't call it pressure as much as I would say the pressure of indifference. A number of my colleagues, they they know what I believe. They know where I stand. They may not know every detail of it, but they knew enough to understand where I was. And they weren't quite sure what to do with that. So they just didn't want to talk about it. There was a certain amount of indifference. We'll just go on. We'll go about our business. It was almost like nothing to see here. Move along. Did anybody ever actually try to attack me or block me? No. Actually, surprisingly, no. At least where I was, it was a very good work environment. And I didn't run into that kind of hostility or pressure.
0: Dr. Jesse Yao is our guest. It's part two of our series, The Scientific Vocation. We're talking about geoengineering. He's formerly served as department head at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. We'll discuss what ethical challenges he may have faced in his discipline next.
1: The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about pick and choose religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc.
0: Issues Etc. guest, Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
1: Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne,
0: Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series, The Scientific Vocation. We're talking about geoengineering with Dr. Jesse Yao. He's author of the books Faith and Science in a Skeptical Age and Standing Firm, a Christian Response to Hostility and Persecution. Dr. Yao, what ethical challenges did you face in your discipline?
1: Once or twice, I've seen some ethical challenges. I've experienced one or two myself. I'll focus on what I've seen up close and personal, so to speak. Part of my career involved applying geosciences and engineering techniques in environmental cleanup. And I was doing some outside consulting work in addition to my work at the National Laboratory. At the National Laboratory, we were actually very well supported to do the work and to do the work well. And there's some history there that I don't need to go into. The consulting work I was actually a little bit surprised. I was working with a consulting firm. We were in another city in the central United States, and we were talking with them about some new technologies that they could use to clean up some groundwater problems. They had contaminated the groundwater, and it was eventually going to migrate it down gradient and threaten the water supplies for a city. And so I was coming at the discussion from the point of view of, well, of course you'd want to clean that up. And their reaction was, well, why? well, you're going to threaten this water supply for a couple million people. Oh, why would we worry about cleaning it up if we can just essentially treat the problem and eventually walk away from it before it gets to the water? Essentially, they were talking about short-circuiting the whole cleanup, trying to bail out, even declare bankruptcy if they had to, to avoid coming to grips with protecting that water supply. I was really surprised at the attitude especially from a couple of points of view. One is water is an important economic resource, fresh water, clean water. It's very important for all of us. From a more fundamental point of view, from a biblical point of view, right from the start of Genesis, we're in the position of being stewards of this earth. I just can't imagine deliberately walking away and saying, okay, not my problem, even though you might have been the one to create the problem. That, for me, was a bit of a
0: surprise. What opportunities have you had to share your faith in the course of your career?
1: It has come up in a couple of different ways. There's a discussion I mentioned earlier about uh, what is absolute truth? Is there absolute truth? What are we all about whenever we're doing research? Are we actually trying to expand our understanding of truth? That was an interesting discussion, and, and that kind of discussion, that kind of conversation, came up more than once. But that kind of thing tends to be, it's important, but it's, it may not be very personal. On a more personal level, as you interact with people in, the, in uh, wherever it is you're working, you feel like you're close to some people and you can open up and share with them. As it turns out, other people are open to what you have to say, but they may not ever show it until some kind of a triggering event comes up. It might be a family crisis. It might be a personal crisis. It might be world events, and it opens up doors for conversations. So my opportunity was to plant some seeds. I could talk about God's grace. More often, I could talk about God's peace. More often, I could just show mercy and refer to where it comes from. But I guess in the broad sense, each of these opportunities for conversations gave me a chance to share, if not the entire gospel, at least I could share something about God and point people in that direction. It kind of reminds me of Paul's comment in 1 Corinthians, where he said, somebody plants, somebody waters, somebody else causes the growth. I think it was, he planted, Apollos watered, and Christ causes the growth. I can't quote the, that passage very well, but the, you get the sense of the idea.
0: So how would you respond to someone who says that Christianity is incompatible with science?
1: Interestingly enough, I've run into that several times, and my answer I will say it bluntly here, but I try to say it much more diplomatically whenever I'm actually talking with somebody. The blunt answer is, you really need to go look again. You really need to rethink that. Now, do I say that to people in those words? No, no, that's too harsh. Instead, what I do is try to find a diplomatic way to say, you really need to rethink that because I don't see the conflict. I see unanswered questions, but I don't see the conflict. And in fact, Science gives us an opportunity to discover some of God's creation that we wouldn't necessarily otherwise. Even it, it would just go right past us; we'd never see it. And I can point to examples. And this leads to what I think is really positive directions, positive conversations if people are willing to stop and think about it. And let me make a sidebar comment: Whenever I use the word discussions or conversations, these aren't necessarily little sound bites. You have five seconds in the hall and then it's over. These are ongoing conversations that might take place over a few minutes here, a few minutes there, over a long time. And so whenever people talk about conflict between science and faith, I raise questions like, well, gee, Galileo, Newton, there are a lot of people who are big gun scientists over the years in the most classical sense who are men of faith. They were in it not to make money. They are in it not to make a name for themselves. They were in it because they worshipped God and they wanted to understand more of God's revelation, more of God's creation. And if I fast forward to today, if you look at discoveries, scales ranging from the universe all the way down to the to below the cell level, if you look at what's been discovered over the last 5, 10, 20 years in DNA, in cellular dynamics, in how cells actually work, If you go to the other end of the spectrum and look at the universe and look at what we're discovering about the universe, look at how big it is, look at how amazing it is. From one scale to the other, these are all things that without scientific work, we wouldn't have suspected any of it. And yet it reveals the handiwork of God. The more we discover, the harder it is to be honest and say, you know what, this all came about by chance. Or isn't it amazing where evolution got us? Well, those statements don't hold a lot of water. It's really, the more we discover, the harder it is to say any of those things with a straight face. I had a friend tell me, you know, I feel like I have to set my brain aside whenever I come into church on Sunday morning. No, I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I will be very diplomatic as I talk to somebody who has that mindset. But I think the reality of it is the more we understand about science, the more it points us to the Creator.
0: Has your scientific training helped you in your local parish and church?
1: I would say in a couple of different ways. I, in my local congregation, I serve as an elder. I occasionally teach Bible class. I guess the way that my scientific education that has helped the most would be in terms of tuning up my thinking skills, giving me the ability to ask good questions, and by good questions, I mean questions that are to the point and meant to be helpful. We use this this phrase, critical thinking, and sometimes I think some people react to it by thinking, oh, being critical means I'm going to criticize somebody, maybe even insult them. Uh, That's not what critical thinking is all about. Critical thinking means framing a good question, asking good follow-up questions, trying to get at the heart of the matter, and in discussions about theology, discussions about discipleship, discussions about the world around us, any number of areas... Critical thinking is, a, I think, a valuable skill. It's one that we all need. In my participation in, in the local congregation and in the parish, my critical thinking is part of what God's given me to bring to the table, and I think the scientific training helped there quite a bit.
0: How has your Christian faith informed your service to your neighbor through your vocation?
1: Through my vocation, probably the most, most immediate example I could give would be I'm living in the western United States where water is a precious commodity. California, in particular, has had a number of drought years. Last year, by God's blessing, we had a very wet year and it broke the drought, but we know we're going to have more droughts in the future. Groundwater, in particular, is a, is a valuable resource, and protecting that resource is an important thing. So where I've been involved in a very direct way in helping my neighbor In the livermore valley here where i live groundwater accounts for about seven years of the water supply if we needed to use it so it's like water in the bank so to speak money in the bank choose your phrase but we need to protect that and so i've been involved in cleaning up water contamination cleaning up groundwater contamination there's been some discussion of adding a reverse osmosis treatment plant to our city's water treatment processes so that we could basically use contaminated water, clean it up, use it for a potable water supply. That's been discussed. It hasn't actually happened. I was able to help that discussion with some of the questions about how do we make that technology useful and how do we actually make it effective. By effective, I mean cost-effective, too. That's a case where I was able to bring some skills into play and helping my neighbor. This is a neighbor in the broad sense the whole community.
0: From a Christian perspective, what do you make of the kind of apocalyptic tone of climate change rhetoric that certainly has overlapped with your discipline.
1: I've watched that situation develop for the last well, 20 or 30 years, and it's a little bit discouraging. Climate changes, okay? If you think about it, the climate now is different than it was in the what well, we had the Little Ice Age back in the 1500s or 1600s. It affected crops. There were crop failures all, all across Europe. Before that, there were warm spells and cool spells in the climate. So climate changes. I I don't have any doubts about that. What distresses me is all of the hype about people saying, well, the science is settled. Well, it's not settled. The hype about this is an existential threat, and the politicians are good about saying that. The problem I have with that is that not only is it not true, but it also distracts from what should be a good discussion about if the climate changes How do we prepare for the next cool spell that might last decades or even centuries or the next warm spell that might last decades or centuries? Speaking as a technical person, one of the things we ought to be doing is preparing seed banks, which I know some people are already working on that, so that we're prepared with hybridizing crops to adapt to different weather conditions, different climate conditions. All of the hype, unfortunately, takes away from that. It distracts us from the from taking steps to mitigate the issues. This is one of the aspects of being in the profession for long enough. I have friends from work who are active in the climate modeling activities, both in terms of model development and in evaluating the models. And it's been interesting to watch. A lot of the hype we see, people point to science that's based on these models. The modelers, the people who develop and use the models, are pretty honest about it. I can remember whenever they realized, we've assumed that volcanic eruptions don't have that big of an effect, but now that Mount Penatubo erupted and we see how much sulfur it put into the atmosphere, we understand we missed that. We needed to add it to the models. Okay, that was interesting to watch them think through that process. Same story whenever there was a question of, well, what about cloud cover? How important is cloud cover worldwide? Well, it turns out it's pretty important. That needs to be in the models. Well, question comes up, well, what about the variation in the energy output from the sun? There's actually a meaningful variation from year to year and from solar cycle to solar cycle, which means on an 11-year cycle, in how much energy is coming out of the sun and how much energy the Earth is receiving from the sun. And at one point, I've had people tell me, well, you know, that's really not a big deal. But then as time went on, they realized, well, actually it is a big deal, and the models can't be as good as we would like them to be unless we factor that in. That's one aspect that, as far as I know, has not been factored in well enough yet, partly because we don't have really good models to predict how the sun behaves. The point of all this, there's a lot of uncertainty that isn't really talked about whenever people say the science is settled. At the same time, it's a serious enough thing that I think it's worth studying, but it needs honest study, it needs honest research. And to the extent that this might be possible, the politics need to be pulled out of it. I don't think that's gonna happen in my lifetime now. I have to laugh.
0: Finally, why should a Lutheran consider your particular discipline as a vocation?
1: I think there are several reasons. One is, it's very enjoyable. As I mentioned before, it's part of studying God's creation. And it's just a lot of fun from that point of view. Second, and this is not a prioritized list. The second is it is a good way for us to serve our neighbors, and that would be in the relatively immediate community sense whenever it comes to things like groundwater, energy supplies, the quality of the environment, environmental stewardship. And I use that phrase in a biblical sense, not in a commercial sense. In an even broader sense, we have an opportunity to work in areas like energy technologies, nuclear energy and nuclear waste disposal, protecting civilization from contamination. In another sense, I just think it's a way to glorify God with our investment of time and energy and a career. And one more thing that's sort of off the wall, maybe, but somebody in this profession has an opportunity to be salt and light And I use that in the Matthew Gospel sense, where Jesus said, we are salt and light. Somebody in this profession has an opportunity to be salt or to be light in parts of the economy, parts of commerce, where you might not ordinarily find Lutherans or people of faith functioning. That's even more so whenever you think about countries where Christians aren't necessarily welcome to come as missionaries but they might be able to work there as professionals in this or other fields, and in effect become part-time self-supporting missionaries because they are able to get in because of their technical skills. So it opens doors that might not otherwise be open.
0: Dr. Jesse Yao formerly served as department head at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. He has a PhD in geotechnical engineering from the University of California, Berkeley. He's a member of the Board of Directors of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of the books Faith and Science in a Skeptical Age and Standing Firm, a Christian Response to Hostility and Persecution. You can purchase these books by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 or on the Talk on Demand page at issuesetc.org. Dr. Yao, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Pastor Larry Peters joins us next. He's author of a recent column titled, A Fearless Church. We'll discuss Christian courage. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at IssuesETC.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me education,
1: and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc.
0: Interest Time is a magazine that Lutheran Church Extension Fund publishes to inform and educate readers on what God's people are accomplishing through His blessings. You'll find stories about congregations, schools, and organizations within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod that are sharing the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Get your free copy today at interesttime.org subscribe. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.